We are in the middle of a series called Stuck Between a Rock and a Hard Place. We're going through the life of Daniel in the book of Daniel. We're up to chapter 5. If you weren't here last weekend, we looked at Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was an egomaniac. Well, chapter 5 is going to open up, and guess what? We find another narcissist in chapter 5. And for this guy, his name's Belshazzar, for this guy, if he had a theme song, I think this might be it. Listen to these words. Stuck inside the game, I'll just try to find a place. For the stories we share, a picture perfect in every frame. We all wanna be known, but we're afraid to be fully seen. Feel like we're the only ones covering our insecurity. Have we lost who we are to the passion? Oh, oh. trading souls for the sake of the passion.
Your ego has failed you. Now you're here. This is the space between a rock and a hard place. It's dark. You look around. In the distance, there's a light. It's faint at first, but begins to grow. A lifeline reaching out, a moment to swallow your pride and face the facts. It's almost here now, but you look back at your dark, rocky spot. You let the light pass, and this is where you stay, sticking to your guns, holding on to your pride, and thinking you know better than all-knowing God, choosing to remain stuck. This is how you ruin your life. Well, Mr. Johnson was a teacher in middle school, and he had one particular student that he was a little concerned about. His name was Johnny, and he felt like Johnny was cheating on all the tests. So at the end of one of the classes, he says, Johnny, I want you to stick around for just a second. I want to talk to you about the test. I think you've been cheating. Well, Johnny hung around after class. He said, I cannot believe that you would accuse me of such a terrible thing. Mr. Johnson said, well, let's just take your last history test for an example. He said, you sit next to Mary, don't you? He said, yes, I do. He said, well, on the first question, it was, who's the first president of the United States? And Mary wrote down George Washington, and you wrote down George Washington. He said, well, yeah, everybody knows who the first president of the United States is. He said, okay, just, just hang on, just hang on for a second, Johnny. He said, the second question was, who was the president that freed uh, the slaves? Who was the person who was sitting in the office at that time? He said, Mary wrote down Abraham Lincoln. You wrote down Abraham Lincoln. He said, well, I've been studying my history book, so I, I knew that one as well. He said, but on the third question was, who was the president during the time of the Louisiana Purchase? And Mary wrote, I don't know, and you wrote, me neither. <laughs> We've been in the middle of this series in the book of Daniel, and one of the things that we learned about Daniel is he has incredible integrity. Daniel chapter 1, Daniel comes into the scene. He's 15 years old. The king of Babylon, a man named Nebuchadnezzar, has come in. He's laid siege to Jerusalem. He's taken back the best, brightest talent that he's got to indoctrinate them into the Babylonian way of life. And one of the things that he's trying to do is he's trying to brainwash these people to bowing down before their false gods. Well, Daniel, even at the age of 15, isn't interested in that at all. So what Nebuchadnezzar tries to do is he tries to figure out some smart small little compromises along the way that would cause them to forget about the one true living God. And one of the compromises had to do with their food. Nebuchadnezzar offered them food from the king's table that had been sacrificed to false gods. And, and Daniel and his friends realized, listen, we don't live according to what Nebuchadnezzar wants. We live according to God's law. In the Levitical law, it says you are not to eat of anything or drink of anything that's been offered to false gods. So Daniel refuses to eat or drink of that meal. But he makes a deal with the guy who's watching and overseeing him. He says, just give me 10 days. 10 days, we'll have a different diet and see if we don't look better and are sharper than everybody else. Well, they gave it a shot. After 10 days, Daniel and all of his friends were sharper than everybody else and looked better than everybody else. And so they were all brought into a nice position of being wise men. Now, one of the things I love about Daniel is he won't compromise, will he? Not even in the smallest of things, even something so small as food. Well, chapter 2 opens up, and Daniel's now 17 years old, and Nebuchadnezzar has had a dream, and the dream has concerned him so much that he's brought all the wise guys he's got near his little castle, brings them together, and says, I need you to tell me what the dream is, and also give me the interpretation of the dream. 
And all the wise people said, well, that's impossible. We can't tell you what your dream was. But if you'll tell us what the dream was, then we can give you an interpretation to the dream. Well, Nebuchadnezzar was pretty sharp. He didn't believe these people were real deal. He thought they were a bunch of phonies anyway. He said, listen, anybody can tell me the meaning of the dream. If you know the dream, you tell me what the dream is as well. They said, well, we can't do it. So he decides he's going to kill all of us wise men for being frauds. Well, Daniel and his friends are now wise men. They're a part of that. So they go to round Daniel and his friends up to kill them as well. And Daniel says, this is the first we've heard of it. Can we have a couple of days? Can we have a stay of execution to seek after our God to see maybe he would be gracious and reveal to us what the dream was and what it means? So they get a stay of execution. And Daniel and his friends, they begin to pray. And God reveals to them what the dream was and the interpretation of the dream. And he goes to Nebuchadnezzar. He tells him, well, Daniel is now promoted to being the mayor of Babylon. Well, between the chapters of chapter 2 and chapter 3, as about uh, 17, 15, 17 years go by, Daniel's now 32 years old. He's away on official business. That's at least most what scholars believe. And while he's away on official business, Nebuchadnezzar makes an image of gold, 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide, made of solid gold. And he commands all the people to bow down before this image of gold. Well, Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that's what their names were changed to. They refused to bow down to this idol. And so when Nebuchadnezzar found out about it, he was furious. He was angry. He said, if you don't bow down, I'm throwing you in the furnace. Today's your dying day. And then he said, what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say one of the most tremendous statements of faith. They say, our God is able. Our God can do exceedingly abundantly more than anything we've ever dreamed or imagined. Our God is able. But even if he doesn't, even if this is our dying day and we go into that furnace, we want you to know we're not bowing down to your image of gold. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious, he heated up that furnace seven times hotter than ever before, threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in there. Then Nebuchadnezzar in the distance looked at the opening of the furnace and he said, gentlemen, didn't we throw three guys in there? They said, yes, we did. He said, then why is it that I count four? And one looks like the son of the living God. That was Jesus. That's what scholars tell us. That was Jesus in the Old Testament. Friends, there'll be times that you'll go through the fire, but you'll never go through the fire alone. So if you honor God, guess what? He'll honor you as well. Stand for what is right. Stand for what is true. Well, there's a brief amount of time, isn't there, that seems that Nebuchadnezzar has has kind of following the one true God, but we found out last week that it was short-lived. See, Nebuchadnezzar was a prideful egomaniac. He was a a narcissist at the nth degree, and he strutted his stuff, and between chapter 3 and chapter 4, 32 more years goes by, and God is just sick of it. So he gives Nebuchadnezzar a dream, and the dream's about a tree that goes up to the heavens, but the tree is cut down, only a stump remains. So he goes to his wise guys. He's very concerned about this dream. He tells them this time what the dream is about. He says, you got to tell me what the dream is. What does it mean? And no one in the kingdom could interpret the dream except for Daniel. Daniel comes to him and says, i got bad news for you. Because of your pride and your arrogance, because you think that you've done all this in your own power, your own skill, your own ability, God is going to humble you. No one's going to bow down to you anymore. No one's going to honor you anymore. You're going to lose your mind. You're going to be out in the fields with the cows. You're going to be munching on grass. Now, some of you smoke grass. You never thought about munching on grass. Don't do either one. Don't smoke grass. Don't munch on grass, all right? Both are bad things to do. Well, for seven years, he's out there absolutely losing his mind. And here's what's interesting. God was patient with Nebuchadnezzar. He gave him a year to repent. 
We ask the question, if God revealed something in your life that was out of whack with him, would you repent on day one or would you wait till day 364? Nebuchadnezzar was a moron. He ignored the commands of God. He ignored what God wanted. And on day 365, God gave him 365 days to repent. He refused. He walks amongst his kingdom and says, look at what I've done. And there he loses his mind. Next seven years, he's out in the fields, mooing like a cow, eating grass until the day he finally repents. Now remember, Nebuchadnezzar is the one who wrote chapter 4. This is how he ends the chapter. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, Praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he's able to humble. Wow. Now that is quite the testimony. That would get your attention, wouldn't it? Here's the most powerful man on the face of the earth. And God humbles him. He loses his mind for seven years. And then when he regains his mind after he's repented, he says, you know what? There's this one true living God in heaven, and he has a way of humbling. And you think to yourself, well, if if God can do that to the most powerful man on the face of the earth, certainly he could do this to me as well, right? Well, look at what happens next. We get to chapter 5. 23 years has gone between chapter 4 and chapter 5. And Nebuchadnezzar is dead. And his grandson, Belshazzar, is the new king of Babylon. Now, the Babylonian Empire has lost its power during these 23 years. And the reason it's lost its power is because they've had poor leadership. And when there's poor leadership, your your nation begins to weaken. And there's a new world power on the scene, and that's the Medes and the Persians. And they pretty much pummeled all of the Babylonian empire up to this point in time, except for one city, and that was the city of Babylon. Now, this guy, Belshazzar, thinks he's in good shape, even though he's been reduced to being a king, really, of only one city. So, what we're going to look at today is how to ruin your life. Aren't you glad you got here today? How to ruin your life in three easy steps. First step is this. You want to ruin your life? Well, Belshazzar, his problem was, was his arrogance. He thought the city of Babylon was so strong and so big and so impenetrable that there was no way that it could ever be defeated. And there's a reason that he felt this way. My goodness, the walls around the city of Babylon were 35 feet tall. And the width of the walls were 50 to 80 feet thick. I mean, they could have chariots going back and forth any way they wanted to. There was a hundred towers all the way around with all these armed people making certain that nobody attacked the city. And whoever put this together, I'm guessing Nebuchadnezzar, my goodness, he even had the Euphrates River running underneath the city. So they always had water. So if there was ever a time they were laid siege and they couldn't get water in, well, the Euphrates River would provide the water the city needed. And they also had large fields where they could have all their agriculture. And so they were never fearful of not having something to drink or not having something to eat. So Belshazzar is saying to himself, I'm in great shape. I mean, I I know that the Medes and the Persians are right outside the door ready to pounce, but there's no way they're getting to me. He was so arrogant and so confident in all that he had. Sound like anybody you know? How many people do you know that have no need for God? Oh, they build their little kingdom up, and they've got their cars and their houses and their boats and their vacation plans, and they got this, that, and the other. And they say, you know what? I don't have any need of God. So you go to them and say, listen, you got to come check out our church. You have a wonderful time. We have a great time worshiping Jesus. You need to take him more seriously in your life. They say, I don't need that. I'm good. I've got everything I need. 
They never stop to consider that there's more than the here and now. They never even think about eternity. Isn't that interesting? I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and and I said, before you became a follower of Jesus Christ, how often did you think about eternal things? How often did you think about heaven and hell? How often did you think about death? You know what he said? I never did. I was so busy living my life, doing my thing, it never even occurred to me that eternity was just a breath away. How many people do you know? How many people are here? How many people are tuning in at home right now and you're not even thinking about it? Eternity is just a breath away. And your kingdom, it's not going to last. So what in the world are you living for? What are you giving your one shot at life to? You walking around arrogant, thinking you're all that, because you got it all figured out? Let me tell you something. God's offended by your pride and by your arrogance. Why? Because he gave you everything. You don't even exist apart from him. You have no passion, no gifts, no talents, no abilities apart from him. Look at what the Bible says here, Proverbs 16, verse 5. The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Psalm 101, verse 5. Whoever has haughty eyes and a proud heart, him will I not endure. Proverbs 29, 23. A man's pride brings him low, but a man of lowly spirit gains honor. James 4, 6, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Why does God hate pride so much? Because pride says, I have no need of God. Friends, why do you exist? Why is there breath in your body? Why is your brainwave still working? Why are there oxygen in your lungs? Why is there blood still flowing through your veins? Because God has a plan and purpose for your life. And until you discover that, until you understand that, until you understand that you made by God for God to have a relationship with God and that everything else is just a chasing of the wind, you will be absolutely miserable all the days of your life and all the stuff of the world will never satisfy your soul. Well, look at what happens next in the story. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the kings and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver or bronze, iron, wood, and stone. All right, Belshazzar's city is being surrounded by the Medes and the Persians. What's he going to do? Hey, Belshazzar, what are you going to do next? I'm going to party like a 1999. I'm going to get drunk as a skunk. What an idiot. Bring me those goblets. What goblets? The ones they took from the temple in Jerusalem. You know, the one true living God. Don't you think this guy had heard the stories about the one true living God and how awesome and mighty and powerful he was? What does he think that the one true living God is going to think when he takes the sacred goblets from the temple and then he toasts it to his pagan gods? That's the second way you ruin your life. Don't take God seriously. He knew everything that God had done in Babylon. You think he didn't hear the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Wouldn't that have gotten your attention? You know, there are three guys that stood for the Lord, and they were throwing that furnace. I tell you, that furnace is still here to this day. But there was a fourth guy that appeared. 
And they came out, and they weren't, hair wasn't singed. They didn't even smell like smoke because they said there's one true God in heaven. Don't you think he heard that story? And don't you think that he knew about his grandfather's transformation to giving his life to God? Don't you think he knew that for seven years his grandfather was out among the cows, eating grass, growing his hair long and his fingernails longer, out of his ever-loving mind? And then one day he repents and turns to the one true living God, and he's restored his kingdom once again? Don't you think he knows about the power and the might of this God? He knows what God requires of him. He could care less living his life, doing what he wants to do. Let me ask you something. Are you taking God seriously in your life? And here's what's interesting. You're the only one that knows. Nobody else knows. Your wife doesn't know. Your kids don't know. Only person that knows is you and God. God knows as well. Just, is this just a one-hour-a-week thing? You see, it's easy to come here and to go through the motions and sing our songs and listen to the message and leave this place and go out to eat and forget about everything and just keep living your life the way you want to live your life, doing whatever it is you want to do. And this stuff that we talk about never gets applied. It never transforms you. You never surrender your life to Him. You look so stinking good on the outside. You've even got a sticker or a magnet of sagebrush on your car. But your heart is far from him, and you know it. How often do you read the Word of God? Do you even have a Bible that's easy to understand? Have you even purchased that yet? Do you take your faith that lackadaisical that you don't even make an investment in it? Have you ever opened up the Sagebrush app and maybe did a devotional? Your prayer time, what is that about? What does that look like? Is there a time of confession? Lord, I said this, I did this, I had this attitude. I, 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 I shouldn't have looked at that for the length. Of, I'm so sorry. I, I've wounded you. I've broke. Do you, do, whatever happened to repentance? Whatever happened to weeping and mourning and wailing over the fact that we went the wrong direction and we continue to go that direction? So many people, they, don't, they just don't take God very seriously. I, I, I saw today in, in, the, in a football game, they got done with the game, and the guy says, I just want to give glory to God. And then he talked about another coach, and he said, we just love the blank out of him. What do you say? We want to give glory to God. Oh, we love the blank out of him. Do those two things seem to match up to you? So many people don't take God seriously. They, they claim that they're worshiping him, and maybe for one hour a week they are, but the rest of the time they're worshiping something else. Maybe they're worshiping the God of stuff. Materialism, they always have to have just a little bit more, and they're never satisfied until they have a little bit more. Or, or maybe for you, you're worshiping the God of sex or drugs or alcohol or, or, or some kind of addiction or lust or gossip. or I, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe it's just the God of yourself. I mean, the one who's sitting firmly on the throne of your life isn't Jesus. It's you. You've pushed him off a long, long time ago. You call the shots. You make the decisions. You never talk to him. You never consult him. 
This is the same situation that we find here in this story. He has no time for God. But here's what's interesting. There will be judgment. There will be a day when God says, well, that's just about enough of that. Because every single one of us, sooner or later, will sit down to the banquet of our own choices and will receive our consequences, won't we? So you can party like it's 1999, but that doesn't change the fact that this day is coming. And this is the day it comes for Belshazzar. Suddenly, it says, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand, the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale, and he was frightened that his knees knocked together and his legs gave way. That's a polite way to say when it says his hips gave way. That's a polite way to say he soiled his pants. The gray poupon came out of him. But wouldn't it come out of you too? You're sitting there, you're drinking, having a wonderful time, thinking you're safe and secure, and all of a sudden a hand appears, just a hand appears, and begins to write something on the wall. That would scare you to death, wouldn't it? And then you look at what is being written on this wall, and nobody understands it. Nobody knows what in the world these words mean. And so they call the wise men, and they say, oh, get the wise men in here, we've got to figure this out. And the wise men come in and say, we don't have a clue, we don't want to tell you. I don't know. And then the queen mother comes in, and she says, you know, you do have one in your kingdom who can understand this. His name is Daniel. 23 years has gone by. He's been put on a shelf. He's been pushed aside. Nobody cares about him. Nobody cares what he says. Nobody cares what he thinks. One of the most godly men to ever walk the face of the earth in any time period. And he's pushed aside, not taken seriously. Queen Mother says, you might want to get him in here. I bet he'll be able to tell you what it's all about. And so Daniel comes in. This is the third way you can ruin your life. You ready? He had no one to speak truth to his life. He had forsaken any accountability. He had pushed Daniel aside. He didn't want to hear about the one true living God. He wanted to live his life the way he wanted to live his life. He didn't want anybody questioning him, asking him anything. He wanted no accountability at all. So I got to ask you a question. You got accountability in your life? And if you're married today, please don't tell me your spouse is your accountability partner because that's hogwash. Because, gentlemen, you're not going to sit down and say, you know, today I saw this girl walking by, and whoo, she was hot. Much hotter than you, honey. And for a moment, I had some impure thoughts. If you say that to your wife, you are stupid. Do you understand what I'm saying? You can't be that vulnerable with your wife. You can't share that kind of stuff with your wife. You, you can't do it. So who's your accountability partner? You know what most people have? Nobody. We were working really hard this week to put down some questions into our study notes so that everybody could have the accountability questions, and we couldn't figure out how to do it on the computer. And I said, just don't worry about it. They said, how come? I said, no one's going to do it anyway. We're not. If we're honest, we're not going to take this seriously either. We can handle it ourselves. We can do life our own terms. We don't need anybody telling us what to do, and we certainly don't need to have a lunch with somebody every week or so to ask us questions that we don't want asked. Now, we want to chart our own course. We want to do our own thing. We don't want anybody questioning us, and that's why we end up in ditches all the time. That's why every week the phone's always ringing because someone did this or someone did that, and they shipwrecked their life over here or over there. And we look at them and say, did you have anybody in your life that that cared enough to, to look you in the eye and say you're going the wrong direction? Do you have any accountability? And every single time the answer's no. 
but I really wish I had of. I wish somebody would talk some sense into me. You have to give someone permission. So who can do this for you? And do you even want this? Who is this for you? Who will sit across the table and ask you the questions that nobody wants to answer, but you know you need to? You say, Todd, I'm a little bit interested. What are these questions that we're talking about? Well, here's what's great about accountability. You get to make them up yourself. You get to pick the four greatest weaknesses of your life and choose how those questions will unfold. And that person has been given permission to ask you those four questions every single week. Here's what's great about accountability. They give you questions that you get to ask them too. So as you're on the hot seat, so are they. And as they share their deepest, darkest secrets, so do you. So you never worry about them telling because you could tell on them. You see what I'm saying? The fifth question, you don't need to come up with that one. The fifth question is always this. Have you lied about anything today? Did you misrepresent anything in those four questions? Did you lie to me about anything today? Well, look what happens. He doesn't want accountability in his life. He's stuck between a rock and a hard place. They call for Daniel. Daniel's now in his 80s, and he's not happy. He's a crotchety old man at this point. It says when Daniel comes to the king's presence, he's got anger towards Belshazzar. He even tells him about Nebuchadnezzar and everything that Nebuchadnezzar went through and says, you're just a living example of the same thing. And then he says this to him, but you, his son, he's talking about his ancestor, that's what it means, his son, O Belshazzar, have, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. And then he said, you've set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. And then Daniel looks at the king and says, you didn't honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. You wasted your life. You missed your opportunities. You blew it. And then he tells him what the four words were on the screen. Mini, mini, tickle, parson. Mini, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tickle, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Parson, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and to the Persians. Look at what happens. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple. A gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Now, what it was like for Daniel when he came home, laid down next to his wife, and he had this big chain and this purple robe. And she rolled over and she said, why do you look like Mr. T? <laughs> we needed to laugh at this point. I don't know what to tell you. He said, well, there was a dream. And Belshazzar has lost his throne. He's going to be killed tonight. No, well, I've gotten a promotion, honey. It's not going to matter because there's going to be someone new in power tomorrow. Good night. Sweet dream. How did Belshazzar die? How did they get into that impenetrable city? Well, they've been working. The Medes and the Persians have been working on a canal that would divert the Euphrates River. And it just so happened at the moment that he had the dream and the handwriting on the wall, it was the moment when they diverted the water, and the water of the Euphrates dried up, and they went right under the city. And the people were so drunk from the king's party that all the hundred towers that surrounded it, they didn't even notice the soldiers coming in. 
And they walked in without a single blow coming their direction. And you look at that and you say, man, it could have been so different. It could have been. If he would have called out to God. If he would have repented of his sin. If he would have taken God seriously. Maybe if he had gotten some accountability in his life, he wouldn't have ended up in the mess that he was in. Maybe he wouldn't be toasting with the Lord's goblets to false, false gods. You got one shot at life. You can stretch your stuff and you can come to church and you can sing your songs of love and, and amazement of who God is and then you can live, leave here and, and live the way you always have lived before, just doing whatever you want to do, calling your own shots. Don't take the Word of God seriously. Don't take prayer seriously. Never share your faith with somebody else. Just kind of show up and exist for one hour and then go live like hell someplace else. Never confess, never repent of your sin. And you will have wasted the opportunity of a lifetime. Because what's Jesus say? He says, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it to the full. And the only way you have a full life is when you love him with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. When you walk with him and talk with him and you do life together with him. When you take sin seriously and you turn from it, you run from it. When you say, I am the salt of the earth, the light of the world, and you share Jesus with other people, you leverage your time, your talent, your your monies for the things of God, for the kingdom of God, when you realize that life isn't about making your name great, but it's about making his name great. When you lay your life down before him and you say, less of me and more of you, the only reason I exist is so you would get all the praise and all the glory forever and ever and ever. Wide is the road that leads to destruction. Narrow is the road that leads to eternal life. And few, few find it. What road you on? You playing some game with God? You know. And He knows. You can fool everybody else. But you can't fool yourself. And you can't fool Him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, If we are just playing a game and going through the motion, if we are cherishing sin in our heart, reveal what it is so we might repent, so we might turn away. Lord, there was a day we were so close to you and so excited about you. You were the greatest thing that had ever happened to us. But possibly, Lord, for some of us, lesser pursuits have now gotten in the way. And we don't worship you more than just this one hour anymore. We worship the gods of this world. We set ourselves up on the throne of our life. And we wonder why we're still empty. Why we still haven't found what we're looking for. Lord, unless we surrender and lay it all down before you, We will never experience the peace that only you offer. And we will never live the life, the full life that you want us to live. Lord, there's so much more in us. So much more love to give. So many ways that we could be leveraging our life for your glory and for the good of somebody else. Lord, don't let us in our pride and apathy become less than what you want us to be. God, may we long for something more 
And then may we go after it with every fiber of our being. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.